Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Everybody enjoy that extra hour of sleep last night? Staying up, watching Hallmark like me? It was a great night. Uh, no excuses to fall asleep during the sermon today, though, and we should be caught up on sleep. Country folk recording artist Butch Hancock grew up right in the uh, buckle of the Bible Belt in Lubbock, Texas. Very conservative upbringing. Here's what Butch wrote and sang about. He said, life in Lubbock, Texas taught me that sex is the most awful, filthy thing on earth, and you should save it for someone you love. Uh, that's supposed to be funny. Phew. Uh, <laughs> Tough crowd. Few subjects have caused more pain and confusion among Christians in the area of sexuality. And that is why this Wednesday night in this room at six o'clock, we are going to, for week two of our Valley Theological Intensive, explore this idea of God's design for sexuality and gender. So why did God create sexuality? Why is it only for married people? Uh, Why is it so powerful? How can such an incredible gift also be so destructive in nature? And so join us this Wednesday night, six o'clock, particularly if you have kids or grandkids, there are few issues more pressing and important in today's culture than issues related to sexuality and gender. And so I hope you'll be here this Wednesday at six as we dive on into that. A few years ago, a group of us from the church uh, went to Evansville to the Ford Center to see Eric Church in concert, country music star. And he's singing that song that you all know, Desperate Man. And you know the words, it goes, I've walked glass barefooted, strolled across the devil's hot coal. I've tried everything, but hey, what can I say? I'm just a desperate man. Gives me goosebumps every time I hear. Uh, So Eric Church is just blasting that song. And if you've been to a country music concert, you just know the energy in the room. So you've got 11,000 people in the Ford Center just going crazy and yelling and screaming and all this stuff. And uh, so a buddy of mine is sitting beside me and he's, you know, he has the yell over the, the crowd so I can hear him. And he says, Jameis, he said, what would you do if people showed up to church like this on Sunday? And I thought about it for a minute and I said, you know what, man? I said, one day they will. Well, minus all the mullets and bush light, but I mean, <laughs> I don't know about that part. But I said, man, one day they will. And here's what I meant. Um, the Bible says the day is coming when the whole earth, the whole universe will be saturated with the glory and fame of Jesus. The Bible says the day is coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just 11,000 people at a country music concert, but billions and billions of people in unison 
will stand up and lift our voices, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only true God. That is the reason this church exists, to help bring that day to pass. So our vision as a church is we want to saturate Owensboro and engage the nations with the glory and knowledge of the Lord. The grand climax of the universe is the worldwide exaltation of Jesus Christ. And, you know, we're entering into election season. The day is coming soon when no one ever again will say four more years because the rule and reign of Jesus will last forever. So I want us to look at this in Scripture. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, the Holy Spirit says through the prophet Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above the Lord stood the seraphim. That, that means like fiery angelic beings. So envision angels in this room with the Lord on the throne. Each of the angels had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. So it's as though these angels are so in awe of the majesty of God. They don't even feel worthy to look at him. They cover their face. It's like, woe is me. Who am I to be in the presence of God? My feet are not even worthy to be on this holy ground. So we see the magnitude of the holiness of God. And then they cry out one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then they say, the whole earth is full of God's glory. Look at that word glory in verse number three. Christians talk about that word a lot, that we know we exist for the glory of God. Well, that word in the Hebrew means weight, not W-A-I-T, but W-E-I-G-H-T. So the glory of God is the weight or the heaviness or the intensity of all that God is, all of his power, all of his excellence, all of his justice, his mercy, his grace, his love, his joy. We glorify God, therefore, when we draw attention to the weightiness and the magnitude and the depth of who he is. Isaiah 43 says, it's the reason God created us was to glorify him or to draw attention to his greatness. Now, knowing that, go back to verse three. The angels cry out in that last phrase, the whole earth is full of God's glory or his weightiness. It's possible, scholars tell us, that the Hebrew rendering of that highlighted phrase, the whole earth is full of his glory, could actually better be read like this. May his glory fill the whole earth. So it's not just currently his glory is filling the earth, but it's as though these, these angels are anticipating or longing for the day in which everybody will see and experience what they are seeing and experiencing. That, that, that every human on planet earth will be blown away by the holiness of God and fall in his presence. So the angels are saying, may that day come to pass. It's not happened yet. In one sense, the glory of God is already here. There's another sense in which the glory of God has not yet fully come. 
because there are still people not bowing the knee to him. So the the goal of the Christian hope and the purpose of the church is to help God speed the day when everyone will see and know him because he's worthy of that. And, And so you see several places in scripture where there's this expectation, there's this leaning forward, longing for the all-encompassing revealing of the worldwide glory and fame of God. Psalm 72, for example, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The psalmist is like, may it happen. May everybody know God because God's worthy of that. Then I love what the the prophet Habakkuk says. Chapter two, verse 14. Look at this certainty with which the prophet speaks. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the Bible says the day is coming when there won't be a single square inch of the universe that won't scream out the glory of God's name. And nobody will be able to stop their ears or bury their head in the sand on that day. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. Christ is Lord. And then in Isaiah chapter 11, this is one of my favorite texts of scripture. Isaiah 11 paints a picture of what we call the new heavens and the new earth. That is, when Christ returns one day, sets up a new kingdom, there will truly be peace on earth. The scripture talks about you can take your young child and let him or her play in a rattlesnake's nest with no fear of harm. The Bible says, like, you know, you're going to have lions laying down with lambs and total peace and tranquility when Christ returns. So look at how Isaiah speaks, though, of this. He says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. No more mass shootings, no more hurt, no more pain, no more brokenness, no more abuse, no more racism, no more violence, no more wars. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is the end for which God created the world. So last night, we're in Katy's, Kentucky. Celebrate my mom's 76th. Birthday's actually tomorrow. We went in last night so we could get everybody together. And so my sister, or my daughter, Ellie, did a little photo shoot with mom last night. Uh, very much against mom's will. Um, that's mom and my three kids. But we took several of just mom. And Ellie was having her pose and do all these different things. Um, but we're, we're celebrating my mom. There you go. There's one of them. And uh, we're celebrating mom and just having a great time together. And all of a sudden, in a way that only my oldest sister can, who turned 60 in August, she stops the celebration. And she says, Jameis, she says, I got to ask you this question. She says, everything going on, you know, overseas right now in Israel, the wars, the rumors of wars. She says, Jameis, you're the pastor. You, you should know, is the world about to end? <laughs> I'm like... Uh, talking about a mood killer, my poor mom's over there like, happy birthday, mom. I hope you enjoy it because we're all going to die tomorrow, apparently. And so I, I try to do that. Here, here's the truth to that question, is the world about to end? Uh, I don't know and nobody knows, 
But here's what we know for sure. Isaiah says the day is coming. And you take this one to the bank. The day is coming. Sooner than later, I believe. When the glory and knowledge of God will cover all of planet earth as the waters cover the sea. It will happen. God wins. The goodness and glory of God triumphs. The complete consummation and exaltation of the glory of Christ, where all things will be under the feet of Jesus. That is why the world exists, that all eyes will behold and exalt Christ. And all the atheistic philosophers and theologians, they will bow the knee to Christ. Now, here's how we can be so sure that day will happen. Here's why we know, for example, the devil won't sneak one in on God in the end and thwart God's purposes. Look at how God speaks in Numbers chapter 14. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. God says, but truly as I live. It's as though God is swearing by his own name here. As I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So God puts the assurance that his glory will fill the entire earth up on the same level of his own existence. God says, if I'm alive, the whole earth will know me and be filled with my glory. God says, unless I die, the day is coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Owensboro, imagine that happening in our community. Imagine the day when there will be no more drug abuse, where there will be no more broken relationships. Imagine the day when there will be no more shootings. Imagine the day when you won't have to lock your doors at night. Imagine the day when the lines getting into churches will be longer than the lines going to the Texas Roadhouse. I know that one's really hard to imagine. Imagine the day when the name of Christ will be more spoken of and more exalted than John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcat basketball team. That day is coming, the Bible says, where every square inch of our county will be filled with the glory and knowledge of Christ. Christ is all that anyone will be talking about in the heartlands of Griffith Avenue on Ninth Street and Rolling Heights and Lake Forest and Whitesville and Sargo and everywhere in between. Every square inch of the universe will be for the glory of Christ. So take hope. I know the world is dark and scary, and I know it seems like the whole thing is going to hell in a handbasket. And in the temporal sense, maybe it is. But God is making all things new, and all things will be brought together under the rule and reign of Christ. It's going to happen. So, man, that motivates us as Christians to not just get mad and cranky and point fingers at this crazy world, but to get in the game and say, hey, we, we've read the end of the book. We know Jesus wins. That's going to motivate me in this life to make my life matter to that great glorious end. I want to give my life, I want to give all that I have to speeding up the day when Christ comes and the glory of Christ. 
So that's the reason this church exists. We are here to help usher in the end for which God created the world, namely the glory of Christ. But that's not just here in Owensboro that we wanna do that. Last year at this time, uh, we launched an initiative called Next. Many of you were here for that. As many as 40% of you were not here for that. So I'm just gonna catch everybody up so we're on the same page. I want you to know the reason this church exists. God's calling us to do three things over the next 15 years as a church. Number one, to build a new church. We're out of space. That's why we have three services. Secondly, God's calling us to invest in future generations, kids, teens. But thirdly, in our focus today, a foundational part of this initiative is that we would become a multiplying church, that we would be a church that reproduces ourselves that we've multiplied disciples and missionaries and church planters all over the world for the glory of Christ. That's why we are here. And so this initiative, God's birth in our hearts, is birthed out of Isaiah 49. So flip over to Isaiah 49 now. It's a beautiful Old Testament passage of Scripture. It's a prophecy about the mission of Christ. So in Isaiah 49, it's one of four what we call servant songs. The servant spoken of in Isaiah is the people of Israel in the temporal sense, but it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the true and final servant of the Lord. So when you read through a passage like Isaiah written hundreds of years before Christ was born in Bethlehem, it's a foreshadowing of the coming of Christ. So read it through those messianic lens. Verse five, and now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant. So again, I'm making the case theologically that Christ is the servant here that God is bringing about. Why is he coming? To bring Jacob back to him. That's not a singular person, Jacob. That's a name representing all the people of God in Israel. And that Israel God's initial chosen people, that Israel might be gathered to God, for I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. So in short, here's what verse five is doing. God's calling Jesus, who would be born hundreds of years later, to save Israel, to bring Jacob back to him. So remember in the New Testament, what was the first mission of Jesus? He came to the Jewish people initially. John 1, Romans 1, the gospel goes first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. That's all the rest of us. So Jesus starts his earthly ministry among the Jewish people. Jesus himself, by the way, was an ethnic Jew. But then look at what happens next, verse 6. God says, but Jesus, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Let's summarize. So in verse five, God says, Jesus, go to Israel. But then in verse six, he says, but Jesus, that's too light of a thing that you should just go to Israel. The mission trip doesn't stop in Jerusalem, he says. The NIV and NASA is too small of a thing that Jesus should just save the Jewish people. The NAS version says, it's not enough that Jesus should just save the Israelites. Now read verse six in its totality. It is too light or too small. It's not enough, Jesus, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. 
Jesus, I will make you as a light. Jesus comes along in John 8 and says what? I am the light of the world. This is a fulfillment of that prophecy. Jesus, I will make you as a light for who? The nations. Every tongue, tribe, and nation from Indiana to Indonesia, from Pikeville, Kentucky to Pakistan, and everywhere in between, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God is committed to his own worldwide glory. So God is saying to Christians today, Pleasant Valley, it's not enough that you should just take the gospel to Owensboro or to Calhoun where we planted a church or to Indianapolis where we planted a church or to Boston. That's great, but that's not enough. Pleasant Valley, take my name and my gospel to the nations so that the nations might glorify me. Why? Go back to verse three, and we'll tie it all together. And he said to me, so it's as though the Father God is saying to Christ the Son, his servant, you are my servant, Israel. Jesus, by the way, is the true Israel of God in the New Testament. You are my servant, Israel, in whom, Jesus, I will be glorified. Now, that phrase in verse three, I will be glorified. If you, some of you in your Bibles, you have a little asterisk there, a footnote, and you go to the bottom of the page, it's gonna give you an an other Bible translation. You, You could translate that phrase as this, in you, Jesus, I will display my beauty. So here's what this text is saying. God wants to show off and display his beauty to the nations through Jesus. So let me try to illustrate that in an earthly sense. Annie and I had been dating for a few months there at Murray State University in the early 2000s. And I knew how far she was out of my league. I mean, I wasn't an idiot. I I saw her and I saw me, and I was like, it's only a matter of time till she recognizes the, ind- the indiscrepancy here. Uh, she was shrimp and caviar, and I was beanie weenies and saltine crackers. She was Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, and I was Cracker Barrel. Actually, probably more like Shoney's or Ponderosa or the Western Sizzler. <laughs> uh, and I remember feeling this pressure. I gotta get Annie back to Katie's to show her off to my family before she breaks up with me. Because I knew that was inevitable, and it, and it did actually happen. Because, uh, you know, this is because bef- my family will never believe that I dated somebody like her. Because this is like before MySpace and Instagram and all that. So I had no way of like posting online, like in a relationship where you couldn't show her off like you can these days. So I'll never forget how excited I was the first time I brought her home. Talking about excited, Lord have mercy, my mom was just, I mean, she just couldn't believe that any girl would come home with me, I think. She would have never like said that to me. It was just kind of the unspoken, like nobody will ever be with him. And so when I, like that awkward, timid, shy, uncomfortable kid, you know, who didn't talk to girls and and all that stuff. So, uh, So I bring her home and mom like invited over pretty much the whole community, like, you're not going to believe this. Jameis is bringing a girl home. 
And so she had like, of course, all my family, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles. Uh, and then she invited like over, you know, like the deacons from the church and like the Sunday school teacher, my elementary school teachers, like the mailman. I'm like, Ma, how do you, I'm just so proud of you, son. And so I come home and we're walking Annie through the door. I just remember feeling so proud. And I remember holding her on my arm and there's all these people like almost lined up out the front door, like, oh, here it is. And I just remember showing her off. Like, I just want to display her. Like, look at her. Look at how beautiful she is. Nobody even noticed I was there. All eyes are on her. And so I just wanted to show her off. And in Isaiah 49, God longs to display and show off the beauty of Christ. God wants everybody to see how amazing his son is. Christ didn't just die to save us from hell. Christ died to purchase for himself with his blood a people that would exalt him and worship him forever because he's worthy. So the grand exclamation point of the universe is the all-supreme glory of Christ. Knowing that, reread Isaiah 49, verse 6. Here's what God is saying. It's too light a thing for me only to be glorified in Israel. It's too small of a thing for me only to be exalted in Owensboro. God is saying it's not enough just for the people in the United States of America to think I'm beautiful. God says, Christians, churches, go to the ends of the earth, to the remote tribes and jungles in the, along the Amazon River. Go to the ends of the nations because every tongue, tribe, and nation needs to know that I'm beautiful. Pleasant Valley, this is why from day one, we've wanted to plant churches because it's not just about us. There are people in America that don't know Christ. So a significant, generous portion of our budget for 17 years has gone to help plant churches all over North America. And as you heard me say, last year, your giving helped start 24 churches in places everywhere from Salem, Oregon, to Vegas, to Boston, to everywhere in between. That's why we do it, though. It's because every city in America ought to be exalting Christ. This is his country. And this is why we send people overseas. This is why we fund missionaries. This is why we pray for missionaries. It's because Christ is worthy of worship of all the people in Haiti. Christ is worthy of the worship of everybody in North Africa and everybody in the Middle East where we're gonna start doing ministry this year. Christ is worthy of the worship of all of the French people and all the people in the Czech Republic. Missions exist because worship does not. We take the gospel to the nations because there are people there that ought to be worshiping Christ. He is worthy. This is the impetus and the motivation for all missions giving. This is why today, as a church, at the conclusion of our service, we're gonna bring up and pray for our missions and church prayer team. So every Sunday, we have a group of men and women that meet to do nothing but pray for global missions. 
and God's work in the world among all of our church planters and missionaries. This is why today we're so happy to unveil a new missions wall. If you came in the front, go out the back there just to check it out. Um, a missions wall where you're gonna be able to receive information on all of our church planters and mission partners. I wanna encourage you to, to take one of those cards and maybe stick it on your fridge or on the dashboard of your SUV so that you can pray for them and, and know what God's doing in the world through this church. And this is why in the next 15 years, we, guys, we're not a big church, but we're asking God to do God-sized things through us. Right here in Owensboro, we want to start three new churches in North America. That's a big deal. That's a lot of resources. That's three families saying, hey, I'm willing to relocate and go plant a church in Atlanta or, or, or wherever. That's a big ask of God, but it's our heart. And also five international missionaries from our church. Like not just sending a check to somebody we don't really know, but like no one of us saying, I will go because every career and job that is done in America is needed and can be done overseas where there is no gospel presence. So I want to keep beating this drum because I think we get too content with the easiness of cultural American Christianity, but there is a need for the gospel in places where Christ is not known. And so we need teachers and mechanics and plumbers, and business people, and medical people, and docs, and nurses all over the world. So could it be that God is calling you to do what you do here over there for the sake of the gospel, and your church will get behind you? We will give you as much money as we can, but more than that, we will pray for you and come see you every year. Would you consider God may be calling you to do that? What I hope we'll see, this is kind of my point, is that when you're a part of this church, you are a part of something so much bigger than this little community, than, than our little four walls. You are a part of what God is doing around the world. And that is something you can be proud of. That is something you can feel excited about. You're making a global difference. But for us to fulfill this mission and vision of saturating the world for Jesus, God's calling us, this is the language God gave me about 10 years ago, uh, to expand our launching pad. So we're out of space. And this is why, by God's grace, we're building a new worship center right back here. And by the way, we just got our final permit last Thursday. So you're gonna start seeing more activity right back here. But why are we doing that? What's the theological motivation for a church to build a building? Like, why does God need brick and mortar? Well, God doesn't need anything, but God is worthy of glory. And so we want more people to be able to gather to exalt Christ. We want a more accurate snapshot of heaven. We want more people to hear the word and to know Jesus. We're building for Jesus. It's a holy house for his presence. This is why we're taking this current room and, and, and 18 months from now, by God's grace, you won't be in this room unless you're like under 11 years old or you're a teacher in Valley Kids. This whole room is gonna be repurposed for our kids' ministry, but they're gonna be able to worship and hear the gospel. But, but why are we doing that? Kids' ministry doesn't exist just to give kids a picture to color and some goldfish or a Twinkie. We do kids' ministry because Jesus said, out of the mouth of babies comes praise for me. 
Jesus is worthy to be worshiped by every eight-year-old in Owensboro, Kentucky. So we're doing it for Jesus. He loves the little ones. He loves the humility and the simplicity of their worship and prayers. If I want God to answer a prayer for me, I'm inclined to ask a kid to pray for me because they have a sweet, special place in the heart of the Father because they come with no lack of faith, but believing he's real. As I mentioned in the video, we're, for, since 2006, I used to pray every day God would do two things. Give us that consumer mall over there. We're still going to keep praying for that one. Uh, and then also that God would give us that diesel mechanic shop over here. I used to send Bob Childers, who's in heaven now, once a year to ask them if they would give us that building or sell it to us or whatever. And the answer was always, you know, and we don't think we're supposed to do that. Well, this year, out of the blue, they called us and said, hey, are you interested? And we're like, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, we're kind of doing our own thing. And so that mechanic shop, which we will clean out and do all that, (laughs) uh, we'll get all the oil out of the ground. It's gonna be the place for your teenagers and my teenagers to, to hear the gospel, to equip and disciple them to go out and preach the gospel. And then you may be thinking, well, what are we going to do with that space back there where the teenagers currently meet? Well, we're going to flip that whole area back there into a hub for mercy ministry in our city, led by Sister Hillary and all of her amazing team. We are a church that doesn't just want to preach the gospel. We want to meet the physical needs of people. We want to feed the hungry and clothe those that maybe not have clothes. And we want to partner, and we do, with our local school systems and family resource centers to come alongside families that maybe are falling on difficult times. We want to teach financial courses. And we are investing in the physical needs of our city. It's going to be a hub right back here. There are people that are falling on difficult times in our city know this is a place they can come find hope and mercy. This Saturday, we'll be doing that right back here. I'll be preaching the gospel. We'll be giving out food and things to people in our community. You're a part of this when you're a part of this church. But we're not just building more space for our church and even our community. We're building more space so that we can create a larger base from which to launch more church planters and missionaries around the world. We're not building a country club for a holy huddle. We're building a launching pad for the global cause of Christ. And so one year into this two-year initiative, we want to give glory to God for his provision. And I want to say thank you to you all for your generosity. Pleasant Valley, what a cool thing it is to be able to come together and do something that's going to change the world. And I just want to say thank you. It's not about the amount of money we have. Man, if you got $5 or $5 million, every penny matters for Jesus and his glory. So one of our values at Pleasant Valley is financial transparency. And so before we're going to sing, and then we're going to bring up our prayer teams and pray over them and global missions. Before we do that, I want to give you a quick overview of the state of affairs of where we are and how things are going, as so many of you are invested in this, both in prayers and even financially. We had 190 that made commitments last fall. So far in 2023, we've had over 387 families or units that have given. In other words, more than twice as many people have actually given and even committed. That's amazing. God's doing something here. 
Last year, we had a goal of $8 million to try to raise in two years. That's, that's a God-sized goal. That's way more than anything we've ever done as a church. But we think God's in it. And so last fall, we had just under 7.6 million committed over two years. That leaves us about 425,000 short. That doesn't make me anxious because there's this thing called faith. And when God calls you to do something, sometimes you go on faith. And we're just gonna trust the Lord to provide that. We're not gonna be anxious about that. So far, we've had 47, nearly 48% of our commitments that have come in. But so our overall shortage, like we're not gonna shy this number away from you, but it's 425 out of the gate. And then God provided this building and we gotta repurpose that for the students. I mean, that's not gonna be free. So there's, hey, we don't have all that we need. We're gonna trust God to provide. And here's why I give you some of those numbers. It's, they're important for a few reasons. One, at Pleasant Valley, we are fiscally conservative. That is, we are opposed to long-term debt. We don't think it'd be good or wise stewards of God's money to lead our church into long-term debt. And so we voted as elders and as a church family that we would not borrow more than we could pay off in five years from the time we get into our new space. Also, we're being as... Um, we're gonna do as much of the work as we can ourselves. So we're gonna self-execute the flip of this room for kids ministry. That's gonna save us over $600,000. So on Saturdays, we're gonna get in here and swing the hammers ourselves. Well, I'm not, y'all are gonna do that. I'm gonna stand in the corner and pray because I don't like really know what to do with hammers and nails and all that stuff. But um, those of you that are inclined to build things and do stuff. We're gonna do it ourselves and save a ton of money. And all the landscaping that we have to do, we're gonna do that ourselves as well, saving tens of thousands of dollars. By the way, we're gonna have a churchwide work day on March 23rd of next year. We're just gonna all come out here and plant shrubs and do whatever you do to make stuff look pretty outside. So my point is we're, we're being as, as uh, aggressive, aggressive as we can in terms of our faith, but also as prudent as we can to try to save money and be good stewards. So as we're halfway through this two-year initiative, we just want to put in front of God's people where we are and ask the Holy Spirit to bring it to pass. So I just want to ask every one of us to go before the Lord and say, God, what role would you have me to play in this? So on your way out today, we're going to give you a little card. It's going to look like this. And uh, we're going to ask you to take that card before the Lord and pray about what God may be calling you to do. So that's kind of four options on there. We're going to ask you to pray through. Number one, for those of you that made commitments last year, 190-something of you, the first option is just to affirm and continue whatever that original commitment was. The second option you can check is those that made commitments last year may be to increase that commitment. God's blessed you. You're like, hey, I'm going to I can give more. The third option that I think Annie and I are going to be doing is we're going to extend for an extra year the commitment we made for two years. So, so let's say, for example, you said, I'm going to give 20 bucks a month you know, for the next two years. You say, I'm going to give 20 bucks a month for the next three years now. Then the fourth option is those of you that were not with us last year or not able to make a commitment, we would invite you to prayerfully consider making a first-time commitment through 2024. So you're gonna get one of those cards on the way out the door today. We'd ask you not fill it out at home, bring it in here and let's do it together as a church family next Sunday. And I'm gonna ask you as a pastor to do what Annie and I are gonna do and work through these questions with the Lord. Because fewer things say more about our heart and love for Jesus than our pocketbooks. 
That's just what Jesus said. So I want to ask you to pray through these questions for reflection. Number one, has God blessed your finances this year? Has your investment portfolio grown? Did you get a raise maybe? And if the answer to any of those questions is yes, Let's remember, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to his kingdom. In other words, God doesn't just give us more income so we can save more. God gives us more so we can give away more. I was with a pastor from South Africa yesterday, and he said something so convicting to me. We were talking about giving, and he's like, you know, as Christians, we're talking about giving money to God. And he was like, well, none of it's our money anyway. Like, it's all God's. He, God gives it to us, and he lets us keep a lot of it. And so don't think about, well, man, this is mine, and I don't know if I can afford it. Look, it's, it's all God's. Every slab of bacon in the freezer is God's. Every penny in the checking account is God's. All the stocks and investment, the 401k, it's all God's anyway. He is so generous to let us have any of it. And we get a chance not to like give it back to him, but just to say, God, here it is. How do you want me to use it to help bring about the glory of your name? So let's pray through it with that kind of mentality over this next week. All right, let's bow our heads. We're gonna sing a song of praise about the worthiness of Christ. And then we're gonna bring up our prayer teams. We're gonna pray over them and world missions. But before we do that, I want us to take a few moments as us and Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in light of what you've heard today. Lord, what would you have me to do? Are you being called to be our next missionary? Would you consider that? Ask the Lord that question. Are you being called to be a more active part of praying for missions in our church? What role is God calling you to play financially to help fund the mission for his glory? How would God have you to check one of those boxes? This is a holy moment. Don't rush. This matters to God deeply. So sit with him, ask for Holy Spirit clarity, and then we will sing together. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.